Netflix's Queen Cleopatra is making a lot of people angry. Numerous viewers, especially Egyptians, have objected to casting a black actress to play the historical ruler who is believed to be of Greek heritage. But while this debate sounds like your typical culture war bickering, what makes the critiques more complex is that the show claims to be a docudrama and is edited like a docu-series, with experts chiming in about historical facts. Complaints from Egyptians argue that this misrepresents the facts of their cultural history, and others ask if this is a docu-series that's part of producer Jada Pinkett Smith's African Queens initiative, why not highlight actual female rulers of African descent? With lines like, I don't care what they tell you in school, Cleopatra was black. Queen Cleopatra encourages us to believe whatever we want to believe, or accept whatever information resonates with us. I imagine her to have curly hair like me and a similar skin color. But while this show may have noble intentions to remix history to send a positive current message, is it really a good idea for documentaries to tell us to disregard what we were told in school? More broadly, the looser with facts style of docu-series fits into a bigger trend towards so-called documentaries that are less concerned with reporting the objective truth of a story than with furthering a certain subjective message. In our post-truth age, conspiracy theories have more power than ever, and plenty of supposed documentaries out there are deliberately spreading misinformation and setting out with a sometimes questionable or at least very one-sided agenda. Do you worry that there, there could be a sort of social contagion element of this? As people simply become so distrustful of those in charge, and even mainstream documentaries no longer care about the facts, how are we to separate the real news from the fake news, or the real history from the fictitious retellings? Here's our take on how the lines between fact and fiction have become more blurred than ever, and the danger of living in a culture where trust in truth is completely eroded and devalued. It's always been kind of fun to have at least one conspiracy theory that you secretly subscribe to. Was the moon landing a hoax? What happened at Roswell? There's a lot about history we can't know, for sure, and it might not hurt to have an open mind. But up until recently, there's been a general acceptance that most of these over-the-top theories were, well, a little unhinged. Somebody blow the whistle, and every once in a while, some poor little sucker tries. Well, like these guys. Boom! Boom! Every one of these guys, dead, dead, dead! Now, conspiracy theorists have cleaned up their image a little. No longer the man wearing a tinfoil hat broadcasting from a ham radio in his garage, they're using traditional news tactics like documentaries to disseminate their material. What sounded like outlandish or far-fetched theories a short time ago are now legitimized and gathering huge traction online. Are you uh, a Gulf of Tonkin guy or Operation well, Northwoods? Those, those are all true. Yeah. There's nothing, there's nothing, those are all true. Operation Northwoods is my favorite. We've long had conspiracy conspiracy theorists, and documentaries that spread unverified claims with an agenda. But in our recent era, everything changed when a conspiracy theorist became elected president. I'm not concerned about anything with the Russian investigation because it's a hoax. Prior to Trump taking office, he was already spreading the Barack Obama birther conspiracy. And with all his fake news rhetoric, the distrust he was sowing in the mainstream media before and during his time in office was so effective that people who operated outside of these channels began to gain credibility simply because they were in opposition to the party line. People like Alex Jones and websites like 4chan were able to fill the gap created by this confusion and offer an alternative narrative in a convincing, persuasive way. He says he knows the real culprits of 9-11. Private corporate rogue networks uh, working in U.S., British, and Israeli intelligence, all three groups, 
uh, have been found to have fingerprints. These people come to be seen as credible, not so much because their followers think they're necessarily telling the truth or right about everything, but because they're willing to be skeptical about what the official version of events is. Someone like Joe Rogan has managed to maintain a mainstream appeal, not by spouting conspiracy theories exactly, but by being seen as this open-minded middle ground who's willing to have the conversation with all sides. And while on the surface this may seem like a good quality to have, it has ended up with Rogan platforming theories that are provably false. This is the grand conspiracy, right? The grand right. conspiracy is the pharmaceutical companies are all in cahoots to try to make anybody who takes this stuff look crazy. So because these people have these huge platforms now, they're able to hoover up the theories that start out in the murkier corners of the internet. QAnon and Pizzagate, both of which began circulating on the message board 4chan, are now firmly in the mainstream because of the credibility they've been given by people like Trump, Jones, Rogan, and others. What's interesting is that these self-styled truth-tellers have also been reflected in fictional stories and pop culture, and often in those reflections they are proved to be correct. Woody Harrelson's Charlie in Disaster Movie 2012 is a crackpot radio host living off the grid, but he is the only one who knows exactly what's going on. In 2022's Moonfall, John Bradley's character starts off as this fringe academic who believes the moon isn't a planet, but a so-called megastructure. And again, not only is he validated by the film, but he's eventually martyred by it. The moon was attempting to return to its original orbit until this thing went back inside the moon. This is what I've been trying to tell you. These depictions deliberately challenge our preconceptions of these characters and invite us to consider whether they're really as crazy as they seem or whether there's actually a more sinister reason that what they're saying gets dismissed. It's not that conspiracy theories have gotten any less crazy, but that a lot of the time they use forms we're, rightly or wrongly, used to associating with accuracy. Documentaries are as prone to directorial manipulation as any thriller, but because it's real life being depicted with experts speaking as non-fiction voices to verify the facts, people often take what's said as the truth without any further interrogation. All of the things that one could imagine that Stanley Kubrick would have had to go through to fake the Apollo moon footage. He stands up and he's wearing the Apollo 11 sweater with a rocket taking off. Then I knew I had nabbed it. In fact, in the modern era, many of the most influential documentaries do have a clear perspective or argument. Michael Moore's Bowling for Columbine in 2002 and all Moore's work to follow, or Al Gore documentary in Inconvenient Truth in 2006 stood out because of how they put together the facts to support a thesis that spoke to people. The massive rise of viral video essays over the 2010s also contributed to a savvier mainstream understanding of how to combine facts and evidence to build arguments. Yet over time, the documentary form is becoming less and less beholden to facts or objectivity at all. Sometimes this is of a fairly harmless, though clearly biased variety, like the self-promotional documentary or self-exploitational documentary. Doesn't it make more sense to hear our story from us? Other times, it leads to the documentary with a clear political or ideological aim of presenting only one highly filtered side of the story. Matt Walsh's What is a Woman presents itself as a rigorous scientific investigation into the coherence of gender ideology and himself as a sensible voice in the midst of a lot of pseudo-experts. But a cursory fact check reveals a lot of his statements to be inaccurate. And clearly, they're all serving a particular worldview. Walsh has publicly voiced his own very old-fashioned and actually pretty dangerous views on gender norms. Girls between the ages of like 17 and 24 is when they're technically most fertile. 
Yeah. Okay? Recently, in the last 30 years or so, we decided that that's way too young to start a family. Why? The film 2000 Mules runs with the story that the 2020 election was stolen from Donald Trump using information from the widely discredited election group True the Vote. But NPR's Shannon Bond writes that despite the film's slick graphics, the maps don't actually correspond to the alleged data. Similarly, Mickey Willis's film Plandemic surged in popularity in the early days of COVID-19, shared by notable doctors, politicians, and celebrities, despite the scientific testimony in the video having come from a doctor who'd been widely discredited. That vaccine was grown in a cell line, a dog cell line. Dogs have lots of coronaviruses, and that's why they're not testing there. Honestly, just it's a purely illogical statement. The video was eventually removed, but by that time, the damage was done, and that's the biggest problem. We see the same thing has happened with various anti-Semitic conspiracy theories over the years, most of which can be traced all the way back to a fabricated 1903 Russian publication called The Protocols of the Elders of Zion. It's a book that was read by Hitler and a book that inspired the 9-11 terrorists. It is perhaps the most dangerous book ever published. The Atlantic's Stephen J. Zipperstein argues that The Protocols is not purportedly mere narration of a diabolical plot, it's evidence of one. It projects authority by obscuring its authorship, not unlike various religious texts, or to use a much more recent and pertinent example, the anonymous dispatches that form the foundation of QAnon. The explosion in popularity of the true crime genre has also gone a long way to creating this conspiratorial culture. Documentaries like The Vanishing at the Cecil Hotel give legitimate platforms to these conspiracy theorists and provide another outlet for ordinary people who already have distrust in our institutions. At that point, we were all feeling that someone in the hotel has to be involved and this has to be a foul play scenario. The irony is in spreading this distrust in mainstream media, these documentaries don't provide clarity, but instead cause chaos. Once they are fact-checked, it's usually easy to know what to believe. But now, the problem of misinformation is so out of control, whose responsibility should it be to do that work? So how does misinformation actually spread? Stanford's Edmund L. Andrews likens it to an actual virus, saying that the propagation of fake and harmful stories via social media bots can create such an overload of that information that people are effectively worn down to the point where they believe it as truth. These accounts were deliberately and specifically attempting to sow political discord in Hong Kong. The problem is that misinformation online is rife, even in places that feel pretty harmless. Similarly, things like deep fake technology and AI are now so commonplace that it can be initially very difficult to tell the difference between them and the real thing. We're entering an era in which our enemies can make it look like anyone is saying anything at any point in time. UK photographer Siobhan Walker went viral for her AI art images that were intended to depict working-class areas of Glasgow in the 1980s. It's easy to see how these things that could be intended for parody or artistic purposes could simply become embedded in the culture at face value, like we see with conspiracy theories. One of the main theories that went viral in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic was that rich people had access to a special vaccine before anyone else, something that was then alluded to at the start of Glass Onion. You won't be needing that anymore. I won't. You're good. It's one thing for bots to be spreading conspiracies, but when these are disseminated by official accounts and powerful people, why wouldn't you believe them? Ukrainian authorities have finally admitted that the ghost of Kiev is a myth. The saying goes that you can't close the door once the horse has bolted, and right now it feels like horses are bolting everywhere you look. 
Today, seemingly anyone, even poorly informed non-experts, can claim that authoritative voice, provided they package what they're saying in the right way. Conspiracy theories are born out of skepticism, and in truth, it's good to be skeptical. History is full of stories where the publicized truth of an event doesn't match up to what really happened. In a conspiracy like this, you build from the outer edges and you go step by step. If you shoot too high and miss, everybody feels more secure. But we need to apply that same level of skepticism to the conspiracy theorists, too. A recent study from MIT showed that increased digital literacy led to more people being able to discern between real and fake news, and there are increased calls for this to be taught to young people from an early age. That's the positive here. Fake news may spread like a virus, but that doesn't mean there's no way we can't take measures to avoid it. Just don't take things at their face value. Just always be considering what else might be the purpose here. That's The Take. Click here to watch a video we think you'll love, or here to check out a whole playlist of awesome content. Don't forget to subscribe and turn on notifications.